Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Awesome stuff. Hey, if you guys have questions, obviously the website was up. Um, also, Jill and Aaron are here, and I'm sure you'd be more than welcome to answer any questions on how people can get involved and serve with you guys. So thank you so much. We love you. Uh, thanks for being here this morning. It's the time of year where school's out. It's hot, so people turn into a bunch of big old leavers, and they leave the valley, but you guys are stayers. So thanks for doing that and uh, being here this morning. My name is Brent. I'm the uh, student and young adults pastor here at North. And like Wes said, we are wrapping up this six-week series um, called Lessons from Our Living Room, a part of our open house event. And if you're new here this morning um, or you're checking us out today and this is your first time hearing the series, it's a bummer that we're wrapping up. But the kind of the heart behind this is we got together and we we wanted to come up with these questions that we feel whether or not you're whether you're churched or not that these are questions or conversations that anybody would have from the comfort of their own home sitting in their living room um, just hanging out talking I always like to say think about when you're in junior high and you have a sleepover you kind of unpack all of life's mysteries um, in the middle of the night with whoever you're sleeping over with that's kind of what we're doing for adults so um, this morning uh, I'm answering this question that when we started to talk about this series, uh, Wes, Jay, and myself, we sat down and started to pinpoint uh, what the questions were and then who wanted to take what. And I was really excited about this one. And then as I was prepping for it, praying through it, studying through it, um, I've struggled with it because I kind of came to the conclusion that this answer is so unbelievably easy that we make really difficult, or it is such a vast, large question that we can never really pinpoint the answer to. And I tend to lean completely on the first part. And the question we're asking today is, what really is the good life? What really is the good life? Okay, and like I said, I think that this is a very simple um, question to be answered, or a very difficult question with a very simple answer, because I believe that Scripture gives us a checklist or a lot to look at to see if we are living the good life, and that's what we're going to be exploring today. So uh, based on the number of people in here, if I were to ask you what really is the good life, I'm sure I would get every different answer from everybody, although I believe that a lot of the answers would kind of fall under the same category that we're looking at, um, because really good is subjective, right? Good is relative. What is good for me isn't always good for you. Uh, who likes Pepsi in here? It's so minimal, right? Pepsi's just horrible. I'm sorry, it just is. The P word is a swear word in our house. We don't say Pepsi, okay? We're just Coke drinkers, all right? But Coke is so nourishing to me. Pepsi is just like, it's just bad, okay? But good is relative, all right? Chocolate, vanilla, whatever it is. But when you get into the bigger things in life, I think we can all agree on the good life would have things like um, a roof over your head, food to eat at your disposal, clothes to wear, air conditioning or a swimming pool in Arizona, health for your family, your friends and your children, and obviously financial security. Basically, the good things in life are the things that make life easier, more comfortable, or make things more simple for us that, so that we're not inconvenienced. But I think this is a really important question for us to go over because your answer needs to be carefully thought through. Because whatever answer you come up with, that is what you will live your life for. 
what you will live your life for. So what or who are you living your life for? I think back when I was 16 or 17 years old, I had this uh, friend, his name was Micah. There were six kids in this family, five boys and one girl. They were, their, their last name was the Clutonauties, and like, unbelievable family. Their dad was always had a guitar with him. He was always just throwing out scripture in your face. Like, the man was just, like, he... he exuded Jesus. Like, everything about this guy was Jesus. So, 16 and 17, I played in a band with his son, and we were just hanging out at his house one day, and we started talking about, like, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we're, like, 16 and 17, so we're, like, we're going to get signed to a label. We're going to get big. We're going to tour, which is funny, because his three brothers actually did get signed to a label and toured and stuff. We didn't. We're all pastors from that band. But I remember his dad sitting there, and he's hearing us, and I looked at him, and I said, Dave, what, what do you want your kids to be when they grow up? And I'm like, I was really excited to hear his answer, just because he's such a colorful guy, and he always had great things to say, and he sat back in his chair with his guitar, and he said, Brent, I don't care if my kids are garbage men as long as they're serving the Lord. And before I go any further, if you are in waste management, this is not, I, hear my heart, I am not saying anything negative, okay? I say that because I've shared, the, I've shared something like this in church before, and I got so much pushback, okay? And that's not the heart of this. What, it was, we were from a small blue-collar town, Okay, and he was just trying to paint a picture of what our reality, what we wanted to be versus his heart, that he didn't matter what his kids did. He just wanted them to serve the Lord. And I was like, that's stupid. I'm young. I don't know things yet. And as I get older now and I have three kids of my own, I don't care what my kids do as long as they are serving the Lord because it's the most important thing that any of us can do. So I... I, I often think back to that story because his answer showed what he lived for, showed what his good life was, okay? And I was like, man, it, it took me a lot of years to get that answer because I think we're always concerned about stuff and security. Um, and a lot of that comes from a financial aspect. So I did a couple studies. Um, a financial group did a study on what would be the dollar number that a person needs to make in order to have an emotional well-being or a good personal life. And that, that number was around $75,000, okay? And they also noted that any earning above that did not enhance their test group's emotional well-being and personal life. In the end, the salary that will give, according to this financial group, the salary that will give the best emotional well-being and a good personal life is $88,747.50. So if you're at 49 cents, I'm sorry. You cannot have a good life. So I wanted to play a game this morning, and I like honesty. So on the count of three, let's just all shout out our pre-taxed income. <laughs> I'm joking. Let's do after taxes. And then that's how Brent would get fired. That'd be the last time I'd preach, okay? But... And then another study, there was another financial group, they asked people who made different salary ranges, what would be the number for them to be more comfortable in life? And it was, it's just such an interesting um, study they did, because they asked somebody that made around 50 grand, and they asked what number would, would put you comfortable or good, and they said 100 grand. So then they asked a person that made that, and they said $500,000. And then they asked somebody that made $500,000, and obviously they said a million dollars, and they asked a millionaire, and it just kept going up and up and up and up. So you can see there's never a satisfactory number that people can say, if I just get to this point, then I'm going to have the good life, okay? Aside from money, 
Um, there's certain aspects to the good life that if you would look at different philosophers throughout history, I didn't write them all down because it's the, it's the main ones you would think of, okay? A lot of it has to do with uh, a, moral, uh, a morally good life that is full of virtue and things like integrity, honesty, joy, and happiness, which I think we can all agree on. Those are aspects of what we would consider. Those are good things to have in life, okay? On the other hand, some are looking for a life of wealth or in this culture nowadays, it's social status, whether it's physical or online, whatever the metaverse is, but all of these things are driving forces to get people to the good life. And there's a pastor in Atlanta, he's really famous, named Andy Stanley, and he said years ago, he said, your direction, not your intention, determines your destination, okay? So if you don't know what a good life is or what your good life is, where are you headed in your life. What are you chasing? What are you striving to catch? What are you pursuing? Is retirement when the good life starts? Is it when your kids grow up and move out? I'm sure some of you are like, yes, we're so close to that. Is it when you get married? Young people that are dating, they think that that's the next pinnacle and they're like, everything's going to be better. That'll be good when I'm finally married. Or is it when you're young and you're involved in as many activities as you can possibly throw your kids in? Okay? What dictates the good life? Because all the decisions we make lead us somewhere. We're all headed somewhere. But do you even know where you're headed? Or is every day just kind of Groundhog Day? You're living with, with purpose, but not meaningful purpose. Okay? And if you're not sure, let me ask you this. And here's a tough question I really want every single person to wrestle in here with. Okay? Even when you're at lunch today, uh, at home sitting on the couch, you need to ask this question um, to you, to your family. Because if you answer this honestly, okay, it's difficult because you might find yourself having to make adjustments in your life. Okay? So here's the question. If you had the choice right now, to stay here and live out the rest of your days on earth, or if you had the choice right now to go home to heaven and be with Jesus, what would you choose? What would you choose? I think our, the Christian side of us would say, oh, I want to be with Jesus right now. But I think the human side would say, I, like for me, I have three kids. Like I, I want to be a grandpa. I want to get that rocking chair on a sweet porch and watch the sun go down with my wife. Okay? And I wrestled with this because I'm like, is it wrong to think that way? But then I think about Jesus and like counting the cost and laying down everything in this life for the sake of following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because re the reality is how you answer this question will show whose kingdom you are more interested in building on this earth. And that's why I'm saying that's a tough thing to wrestle with. Because if you find that you're building your kingdom more than his, then you're going to have to make adjustments in your life. You're going to have to have that conversation with God. So if everything is gone in your life... Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough to give you the good life? That relationship, that one-on-one -on -one relationship on this side of heaven, does that lead you to the good life? And my answer is absolutely it does. Jesus is the good life, but let's pray, and then we'll talk about this a little bit more. God, I pray, as I always do when I preach, that my words would not, my words would not come out. That is absolutely your words, God. I'm, I, I need to be dependent on you. I'm nothing without you. You're the vine. I'm a branch. And Lord, I pray that um, in these next brief moments in time that, uh, God, you would just speak your truth through me, that it would rest on our hearts, Lord, that we walk out of here changed people. And um, Lord, help us to to understand the, the reality of what is really good in your eyes um, compared to our broken, uh, broken eyes. 
on this side of heaven, God. We, we love you. We give you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So one thing I came, sorry. One thing I really wrestled with writing this is, so you go back to Genesis, the days of creation. When God made something, he saw that it was, okay? And when God created Adam, he breathed what into him? So, so right in the beginning, you see the word good and you see life established. So we're asking the question, how do I achieve the good life? And if God establishes what is good and God establishes life, for us to think that we can have a good life apart from him is clearly foolishness in my mind, okay? God established what is good. It is by his creation, his order, his design that he says, this is how things should be. Could you imagine, we can't because we live in a broken world, like Adam and Eve walked around in God's perfection, his goodness, how things were supposed to be. There was no worry. There was no fear. It was community with their father, and there was trust there. There was harmony. There was unity. And for us, that has been broken because of sin. But God gets to establish the order. God gets to establish what is good. And like I said, for us to think that there's goodness in this life apart from him is just not true. And the Hebrew word for good in the days of creation, I think, I'm not, it's tob, T-O-B-H, okay? And that refers to the good that God established in those days of creation, okay? That goodness is hard for us to grasp because it fails into comparison what God actually meant when he says, this is good, okay? Um, there's other translations or other uses of the word good that are often used in the Old and New Testament that are not that tobe. Like one of them would be tov, like mazel tov, okay? So you've, you've heard those words good, but this is a separate word, okay? What tobe means in Genesis, that this goodness, there's no blemishes. What is created is absolutely 110% desirable. It's beneficial. It's God's goodness, okay? The repetition of the word when God finished creating a day points to a meaning of flourishing fullness, where God is in harmony with his creation. Creation is in harmony with their God, and that is how things are supposed to be because it's God's ultimate design, okay? So that's what goodness is. So I want to look at um, the book of Ecclesiastes, um, a little bit today. All right, Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Um, if you want to turn there, we're going to be looking at a couple passages from there this morning. It's a book of wisdom. Um, there's been a lot of, over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of, not controversy, but a, a lot of talk of like who actually wrote this book. Was it, was it King Solomon or was it somebody else based on the literacy of it? But um, I'm just going to say this morning, I believe it was written by King Solomon, and it helps what these wisdom books of scripture help us do is wrestle with the bigger questions and the practical issues in life. So if you haven't read any of the wisdom books, like Proverbs, there's 31 Proverbs, so we read um, one a day in a month, okay? So the story of Solomon is God approached Solomon in a dream, and he said, hey, buddy, you can have anything you want, okay? Like, if God asks you that, what are you going to ask for? Like, I know that's kind of a loaded question, but, like, where does your mind go? Okay, so Solomon responds to God, and he says, man, I just, I want wisdom to govern your people well. And I don't know if God was taken back by that. Probably not because he's God and he knows everything. But the reality is, because of Solomon's answer, God says, I'm going to bless you with basically earthly things because of your heart. Okay, so he gets all this other stuff that 
no, uh, other people would probably wish for, fame, fortune, whatever it is. So Solomon pretty much had everything in life, okay? And if you've never read the book of Ecclesiastes and you do, it can come across as kind of very cynical um, because the message that Solomon reiterates so much is basically that everything in this world, in this life on this earth is meaningless. And he says, under the sun, and that we are chasing the wind, okay? And I love that analogy because moving to Arizona for the first time back in 2015, and we moved in, when, when was it, babe, July? Yeah, July. Um, so we, right in the, like, heat of summer, and I, I'll never forget, like, that first time, like, going out at, like, 7 o'clock at night thinking it's going to be semi-cool, but it's like the, the heat just punches you in the face. And then I remember walking to a store and the double doors opened and it was just the cool air just hits you and envelops you. And you get that like complete sense of satisfaction, right? Because you're like, I don't want to be hot anymore. I want the cool. And then what, five minutes in, we want our jackets because like now it's too cold. So then we start chasing the wind the other way and you go outside and then it's hot again and you just can't get comfortable, right? Even at home, you sleep with the air conditioning on, but then you need three blankets and like, you, we're just never satisfied. I could go on and on and about this, okay? But that's why I love that analogy, because we're, we're always chasing something because we're never really satisfied. So going back to Solomon, I really don't believe he's writing from the vantage point of a cynic. I really believe that Solomon helps us understand, or at least he's trying to paint a picture of what life separate from God, or at least a life in pursuit of the desires of the flesh turns out to be. Okay, fulfillment apart from God in this world under the sun. So he's in his older age, I believe, when he writes this book, and he's able to look back on his life and see everything that he had, everything that he accomplished, and he comes to this understanding in his mind that it's all meaningless or vanity. He goes on this tour of discovery in his life to see what life has to offer. He has everything you could basically want. He had a kingdom. He was loaded with money. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Okay, God wasn't for this, but it's the reality of his story. He had, the Bible says he had more money than anybody before him or after him. Every year he got 25 tons of gold. Uh, he got a fleet of ships with qualified sailors. He had ivory monkeys, apes. I love that that's thrown in there out of all the things he had. And they're like, what else do you have? I don't know, monkeys, apes. Okay, write that down. Okay. Um, and then anybody that came to receive wisdom from him, they brought him gifts of animals, spices, precious metals, silver, gold, purple garments, which is royalty, horses, chariots, mules, tribute money. Uh, he got tribute money, which basically other kingdoms paid him because their kingdom, the, his kingdom was superior. So he was, he was like the Scrooge McDuck swimming in just a sea of money. So um, they tried to figure out what his monetary value would have been um, in a year. And it, I don't know if it's true, but it was about $1.1 billion dollars Okay, and that's just like the gold and the financial side. That's not the gifts or the assets that he, that he had. And then on top of that, he had fame. Okay, so what can we learn about the good life from the guy who had everything? And I think we can learn so much if you're willing to hear his words and put them into practice. But we'll get to his conclusion later. Um, but to me, to sum up the book of Ecclesiastes, I think it is if you look for the meaning of life in life, or if you look for the good life, if you look for the good um, in the good life here, you're never going to find it because it doesn't exist apart from God. So Ecclesiastes 1, 
Verse 2, he says, vanities of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Another translation says, meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Seems very cynical, but yet it's a wisdom book. I think he's on to something here. And then he goes on to describe that there's nothing new under the sun. What has been continues to be. People will come and go, and they're going to be forgotten. Work leads to basically nothing. The more knowledge you have, the more grief you experience. And I think that is so unbelievably true in our culture because you look at the stress levels and anxiety levels from our phones. Like, gone are the days where you just found out what was going on in the world from getting your newspaper in the evening and closing it and then just going on with your life. We are addicted to seeing what is going on in this world, okay, and we're often flooded with the pain and the hurt and the, and the horrible issues that are going on. So the more knowledge you have, the more grief you experience. And then he says the fool and the wise men, they both have the same fate. The things we build will be left to others, and who knows what they'll be like or how they'll be treating those things, okay? His story in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, this is kind of him um, on that journey to experience what life has to offer. And he says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it's mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which watered the forest, the, the, the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, from my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I experienced in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So he didn't hold back from experiencing any type of pleasure in life, and that's his conclusion? Like, it's wisdom. This, this man asked for wisdom from God himself. He's the wisest man to ever walk the earth other than the incarnate Christ who is God. Okay? And this is his conclusion. He's on to something. Okay? I said we can learn a lot from him if you're willing to heed his words and listen to what he's saying. In Ecclesiastes 2.25, he says, Without him, without God, who can eat or find enjoyment? Like that little verse right there gets me every time. Without God, who can eat or find enjoyment? Without God, who can do anything and find enjoyment apart from the creator? Cut and dry, a good life is only accessible through a life with Jesus Christ. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So I, I started to go through my mind, if a good life is only accessible through a life with Jesus, when does the good life really start? Where do you have to get to in your spirituality? And I really believe that you enter into the good life when you gave your life to Christ and submitted to his lordship, okay? You're being born again 
being born again, which means you're throwing off the old self, putting on the new self. Okay, you're being made into a new creation daily to become more like Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit. Your mind is being renewed as you pursue Christ, and you're being made into his likeness through sanctification and becoming holy and set apart in the way we are called to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's pursuing righteousness for the glory of God and impacting his kingdom here. And the cool thing is there are blessings that come from this good life. Okay, Paul writes, the old has gone, the new has come if you are in Christ. But you have to ask yourself this morning, what are you holding on to from your good life before Christ that is keeping you from experiencing his good life or his reality in your life? Jesus gives us some things during his ministry on earth that I believe act as kind of guidelines for us to assess and help us kind of see where we're at in our good life. And it's in the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus talks about the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes, all it means is the blessings. So in this story, Jesus leaves crowds that are following him, and he goes up, and he goes up on a mountain, and there's still crowds, but he's talking to his disciples. So the 12 are there, but there's a lot more disciples. He sits down while they stand, and he starts to preach about the kingdom of God. He starts to preach what it is, how it works, and what it should look like in our lives. Okay, And the Beatitudes, I'm not sure if you've ever read them with this mindset, but it's really, it's the character or the attributes to those who belong to the kingdom of God. So these all, all these Beatitudes should be realities in our life. Okay, Like I said, he was speaking to mostly his followers. That's why he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about living with Jesus daily as your king, okay? And if you forget what the kingdom of God is, okay, it's for those of us that are in Christ that align ourselves with God as our king, and we live on this earth under his rule and reign in our lives, okay? So each of these beatitudes comes with a blessing, and if you like, okay, blessings, yes. Do you ever, re- do you ever think about what that word means in the, in the bigger scheme of life? What is a blessing from God? And to me, it's the ability to enjoy the goodness of God in your life, to be able to experience what God considers good in your life, okay? So these are a barometer for us to kind of look at and say, okay, am I experiencing the good life? Are these part of my life? Are these attributes part of my life? Another way you can kind of assess your life is they'll know we are Christians by our love and by our fruit. So if you're not really loving people very well, Okay, or if your love is very selective, all right, you're probably not living the good life that God has for you. If you're not bearing fruit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, then you're probably not walking in the Spirit, and you're not actively experiencing the good life that God has for you. But I wanna, I would just want to go over these, and I want to make them simple for you. Okay, so blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit means that you realize your total depravity, that you know that you need God, you need to be dependent on God, okay? Rich in spirit is living independently from God, okay? So are you poor in spirit knowing that apart from Jesus you can do nothing, okay? Or there's certain aspects of your life that you're like, oh, I'm dependent on God here, but the rest, I'm good, I'm good. Because the reality is you're not good, Because poor in spirit means you understand that, okay? And you depend on God each moment of every day. The next one is, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And this is mourning over your own sin, the sin of the world. And it's basically the the things that break 
break God's heart are the things that break your heart. Okay, here's the reality though. A lot of us are numb to the situations that are going on around the world, okay? It's just because we're bombarded with it all the time. And if you feel numb, that I encourage you, pray. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Renew that spirit within me. Don't become numb. Don't become placent with this. Pray that you have his heart, okay? Because when we, when we mourn with him, then we can experience his comfort and encouragement from his goodness, the next one is, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek is humility. Meek is strong. Okay, it's not, it's not being weak. It's being strong but subdued under the authority of Christ and his kingdom. It's submitting to God's will above your, above your own. It's being broken of your pride and your self-will to no longer pursue what you want, but it is pursuing what God wants and to do his will above all. Think about a wild horse, okay? They have to be broken, right? Like somebody will get them and they will train them and the horse just wants to continue to do what it wants to do. But then when it's broken, it doesn't lose any of its strength. It's just under the authority of somebody else. That's what meekness is. You're under the authority of God's, of God's reign and rule in your life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We're in America. We can say we're hungry. We can say we're thirsty. Okay? I've never been really hungry. I've never been really thirsty. So this is a really difficult one. Um, for me to grasp onto. Um, for me, it is, this is about applying the standard God has in your life. Are you hungry and thirsty for what pleases God above everything else in your life? Because if you are, it says you will be filled. Because in reality, we're hungry and thirsty a lot of the time, but we seek nourishment from the world and we quench our thirst with the things from this world. And that's why we're never satisfied. That's why we keep going out and striving and wanting more and wanting more. We're almost done with this. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Okay, rather than condemnation, it's pity. Uh, mercy gets rid of the punishment and misery that we should get. So Jesus gives us mercy. All right, we need to be Jesus and give mercy to others. It's the golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated, okay? You can justify it all you want for being angry at people, for not getting, giving mercy to people, but Jesus gave mercy, all right? That's part of his kingdom rule in our lives. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I love this one, because when was the last time you went to God completely broken and authentic with who you really are? When was the last time you actually went to God in your brokenness? Rather than just throwing up the, 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 the nursery rhyme prayers or just thinking everything's going good in your life and you're fine, when was the last time you were an authentic and honest before your creator, before your heavenly father? God works in humility, okay? God works with pride, but he humbles the proud, okay? So I encourage you, if you've been just kind of on cruise control in your life, kind of running through the motions and even in, even in your spiritual walk and like you feel like you're playing a part, I would just encourage you to humble yourself and go as you are before God and let him fill you with his goodness. Go admitting your brokenness and your shortcomings and your weakness. That's what pure in heart means because you will see God. This is a blessing of that. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Peace is bringing harmony to God's creation. Doing your part in relationships, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody, but it's also on a bigger scale. 
It's addressing the sin, identifying the truth, and doing what you can to bring restoration to relationships, to situations. Jesus did this, okay? He brought restoration between us and God, and he brought us peace. So are you a peacemaker in this world? Are you a selective peacemaker in this world? The more things you do for Jesus, the more you understand what it is to be blessed by him, okay? Uh, My old uh, youth pastor, he always had this quote, you will never regret righteousness. When was the last time you did something you know you're supposed to do, and you're like, dang it, I shouldn't have done that. Never, never. I think the most Jesus, like if you're struggling right now and you're just like, I, I just don't feel close to God, I don't, I don't feel like it's there, the most Jesus thing you can do is go out and make the next right decision and start living your life for Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you display the characteristics and the attributes of kingdom living, there will be tension. There will be tension from a world that doesn't understand, that doesn't agree, that doesn't believe. You will be rejected by people, you will lose relationships, but ultimately you will be accepted by God. So do you display the characteristics of somebody who is part of, of the kingdom of God, or these attributes in your life, okay? And if you're not, okay, go back and read the Beatitudes and pray through them. Reconnect with God. If you're far off track, we went through Revelation not long ago. I think it's in Revelation 2. Go back to your first love, okay? So here's some help. Here's, here's Brent Fail's seven tips to a good life, okay? So get out your pen, your notebook, or you can watch online later. Number one. Choose holiness over happiness. Holiness over happiness. And a lot of this is relinquish control. Let go. Surrender to God. Jesus says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The only goodness in life you can have is through a relationship with Jesus. Proverbs 10, 16 says, the wage or what you earn of the righteous leads to life. The gain of the wicked to sin. If God is the source of true goodness and you're living parts of your life separate from him, then you're missing out on the fullness and the totality of the goodness that God wants to give you in your life. And you're going to continue to try and, fulfill, try and find fulfillment apart from him. And that is temporary, and that's what Solomon means by chasing the wind. You'll never grab it. And here's the other reality. There are things in your life that make you happy that break the heart of God. Oof, there's a punch to the gut. There's things in your life that you choose to do that break the heart of God because it makes you happy, but it's not holiness. Choose holiness over happiness. You'll never regret righteousness. Have you ever had buyer's remorse? Yes. Have you ever had giver's remorse? If you did, then you didn't give for the right reasons. I'm just saying. When you choose to live life in the kingdom of God and choose to put Jesus first and choose to walk in his footsteps, you're never going to regret it. You're never going to regret it. Number two, um, get back to the basics. Get back to the basics in your spiritual journey. Meet with God. Have quiet time. Pray. Continue to study God's word. Stay in connection and tied to the giver of all good things. Pray his will above yours. Pray biblically. Pray 
biblically. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. First Samuel says, Moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. When you choose to pray for other people, when you choose to pray for situations, okay, it changes your perspective on people. It gives you the eyes of God, all right? So if you're not praying for people, all right, that might be why you, if you look at the situations going on in the world, you might have a lot of bitterness towards things. Man, continue or start to pray biblically the way, the way Jesus calls us to pray. Pray for tough situations. Pray um, for your enemies. Pray for those that are persecuting you or the church or other people. Pray with the same heart as Jesus. If it's not breaking your heart and you find yourself just angry and bitter, okay, stop having conversations this way and make it a prayer. Start talking this way. Take it to God, okay? When was the last time the world was changed because you post something on Facebook? Got to keep doing it, though. Oh, I could just go off on a tangent. Sorry. <laughs> the third one, watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. First Peter 3, 10 through 11 says, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Do you always have to get things out of your mouth? I know some, of, some, of, some people are in here like, it's just me, like I have to. You don't have to, okay? Pray through it. You're part of the kingdom of God. Pray through it holiness over happiness, but it'll just make me feel better. Does it, is it the heart of God? No. Tame your tongue. Next one, seek wisdom. If you want knowledge, go to college. If you want wisdom, go to God. I know it doesn't rhyme, but it's still a good thing, okay? We live in a world where infor- we, we're claiming information is knowledge, and we're claiming knowledge is wisdom, and wisdom has just been thrown out, the window. I believe there's such little wisdom here, but yet scripture tells us that if we go to God and pray for wisdom, he'll happily give it to us. Wisdom is being able to make decisions that God wants you to make in this life. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, Proverbs 13, 3, 13 through 16. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, okay? Or happy is the one that finds wisdom. And the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. Earthly things. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. When was the last time you prayed for wisdom? When was the last time you prayed for wisdom? And don't make it weird. Like, if you haven't prayed for wisdom in a long time, just go to God. Like, this, this, the, I, the devil works in these things where it's just like, oh, you're a bad Christian. You haven't asked for this in a long time. Like, God wants to hear from his children. So don't let, don't let these thoughts, like, d- deter you from, from going to your heavenly Father. Number five, live for the eternal, not the temporary. Live for the eternal, not the temporary. Matthew 7, 19 through 21 says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay? Do you see the things in life as yours? Or do you see them as assets that God has blessed you with to build his kingdom and not yours? The things God blesses you with, can you look at them differently to say, how can I use these 
to bless somebody or to build God's kingdom rather than our own. Okay, I was over at uh, the Beldens the other night, and Zane and I were talking about this, and he just brought up like just how much stuff we have, just how much stuff we have, and how how numb we are to it. And I'm not saying like this isn't a guilt thing, because I'm as guilty as of it as everybody. But it's just like knowing what we know. How will your decisions change the next time you're out of the store? I'm impulsive, like ridiculous. And, like, if I don't buy something, I'll go to Brianna and be like, I didn't buy this. And this is, like, a huge win for me. So, like, it's, it's all these little decisions add up. And the more you make small decisions, the more they become habits, okay? So just adjust your life. I'm not saying go home. If God leads you to, to go home and sell everything, go home and sell everything. But that's not what I'm telling you to do today. I'm just saying, can you adjust because of your relationship with God, your perspective of things, Okay. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides, or, abides forever. And that's the next thing. Stay connected or abide in Christ. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. The things that we chase, the wind that we will never catch, the joy that we hope to have from the things that we buy. David writes, the fullness of joy is in the presence of God. Your right hand are, is more pleasure than this world can offer us. And then John 15, 4, it says, Abide in me, and I will abide in you. Next one is, seek contentment. Here's the beautiful thing about chasing contentment. You just caught it. You get it? You just caught contentment. Because it's not like you don't say, if I have one more thing, then I'm going to be content, because then you're going to keep chasing. That's what we do. Contentment, you're there. You've arrived. Are you satisfied with God, what God has given you? Uh, Matthew 6, 25 through 33. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. How many of you guys get stressed out about what you're going to eat for lunch after church? Like real talk. We laugh because it's true, right? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows what you need, that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you've, if you've read that and you say, what is the kingdom of God? That's what we've talked about today. So what do you seek first? Do you seek your wants or your needs first? What if you only had what you needed today? What would your life look like? What if God just, just gave you your daily bread rather than the 15 kinds of cereal and the dozen whatever we have in our fridges, okay? We have to stop wanting more and more and more of the stuff that we consider good 
and we need to start pursuing more and more and more of the only true source of goodness in our life. Do you ever get exhausted from the contrast and compare culture that we live in? Always, and subconsciously, um, whether, whether you're scrolling through Instagram or judging things you see on TV, whatever it is, it's exhausting. Like contentment is such a beautiful place to be. So what was Solomon's conclusion? Okay, in Ecclesiastes 11.13, he says, The end of the matter, all has been heard, and this is what he says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments. Okay, he also goes to say, enjoy, enjoy the blessings that God gives you, but at the end of the day, fear God and keep his commandments. God's laws or his commandments for us, they're protective, not prohibitive. They're, they're there to keep us in his good life that he designed for us, okay? And going back to what I preached on a few weeks ago, part of that good life is taking the good with the bad, the trials and the tribulations that life brings. It's all part of God's goodness and the good life that he has for us. But the good life can only be found through a relationship with Jesus Christ. The good life in this world is connected to the overcomer of this world to spend the rest of eternity apart from this world with him. Paul worded it greatly in his letter to the Philippian church when he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's the good life right there, that nothing else matters other than Jesus. So what do you want your kid to be when they grow up? Don't care if they're, I'm not going to say garbage, man, but I don't care what they're doing as long as they're pursuing and loving the Lord, because that is the good life. So for you, what good life are you chasing? And if you haven't caught it yet, are you going to keep chasing? Are you going to heed the words from the wisest man that ever walked this earth, that it's meaningless, it's chasing the wind? Enjoy it while it's here as a blessing from God, but he's God. Don't put other things up there with him. He is the only good we can ever truly have in this life. Okay, let's pray. Spirit, I thank you for your convictions and guiding us into truth. And Lord, I pray that this morning for everybody in here as we all, we're all so blessed to live in this country. We're all so blessed to have the things that we have. God, and Lord, we're so grateful that you have a love and a heart for us, that you want to bless us but God, we get off track. We get, we get blind to the gods that we chase, to the, to the idols and the altars that we build that, that, that have no place among you, Father. So I pray this morning, God, that um, as we've talked about what truly is the good life, that you would give us reassurance in that. Remind us who you are in our lives. Remind us who we are to you, God. And as we go throughout our day, when we start to chase things that make us happy over holy, whether it's trying to get one more thing to lead us to contentment, God, just remind us what your word said. Spirit, guide us into your truth, your reality of what it means to be part of the kingdom of God, what it means to live life here on this earth as members of the kingdom of God, Father. Thank you for your design. Thank you for your order. Thank you for how you establish things. But God, we can even look back to Eden and say, that's what it's supposed to be like. That's what it's supposed to be like. That's what I want. And God, it was all because it was connected to you. You are good. You are the only source of real good 
we know. So, Father, I pray that we pursue you, we seek after you. And, God, help us to weed out the things in our life where we are chasing the wind. Remind us that it's meaningless. And, um, God, that you would get glory, praise, and honor in our lives. We love you. And all God's people said. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. This world has a lot of great things for us to enjoy, but the good life is not found here. The good life is found in a person, and his name is Jesus. If you haven't met him, we would love to talk to you about that. And um, as always, this week we have prayer partners, so if you need prayer, please take advantage of it. And uh, next week we're starting a new series on uh, the parables of Jesus, but we're so grateful you guys came to hang out with us this morning. We love you, and we will see you next Sunday. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.